So we'll be reading this morning uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 15 to 20. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, or, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray again together. Holy God, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we, we see things here that are, are uncomfortable. Th things that, that, because maybe of, of past experiences or because of a lack of experience, uh, we have, have concerns about. Lord, I, I pray that as we study this passage um, this morning, as, as we look at this, this topic of, of church discipline this week and, and next week, I, I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to, to gain a biblical understanding. Lord, help us as a church to grow in, in the loving practice of church discipline in, in all that's involved. Lord, that your church may be built up and that your name may be exalted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our look at the local church. And we started, if you remember, a few weeks ago by looking at baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then we, we looked at church membership. And then Joshua taught us uh, about, about elder-led congregational church government. And now we're going to be spending this final two weeks in this series looking at church discipline. Just to, to let you know that, that in, uh, in two weeks, when we're, when we're done this, I'll be beginning our study on Genesis, and I'll be preaching through the whole book of Genesis, and, and would really uh, in, encourage you to, to spend some time over the next couple of weeks really digging into the book of Genesis, and maybe trying to read through it individually and as a family uh, a few times, so you can be really begin to, to familiarize yourself uh, with, with what's contained there. But as I said, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at church discipline. And I trust that, that you'll see as we, as we walk through this issue together, you'll see that how all of these, these things that we've talked about are really interconnected. How, how baptism and the Lord's Supper and, and membership and church governance and, and church discipline are, are all really part of the same package. And that if a church is, is really going to be practicing really any, any one of those, it needs to be practicing all of those for the health of the local church. I, I wonder, as I begin, if you've ever heard of, of necrotizing fasciitis. Hands up if you've heard of necrotizing fasciitis. You, you may be more familiar with, with its, its common name, flesh-eating disease. Well, this disease is a severe bacterial infection that, that 
attacks and kills the soft tissues in the body. So, so the outer layers of the skin, the inner layers and muscle are attacked by, by this bacteria. And treatment for necrotizing fasciitis is, is a, a strong course of, of intravenous antibiotics. But in often, often cases that doesn't work and, and so what's required is an amputation. Where, where an arm or a leg needs to be, to be actually cut off in order to save the life of the patient. Now, amputation is, is, is certainly an extreme measure, but what would you think of a surgeon who refused to amputate a patient's leg that was severely infected with necrotizing fasciitis, bacteria? In an attempt to save the leg, he will lose the patient. And so church discipline, is a, it really in many respects is a, is a parallel to that, is, is painful. It's painful not just for, for the, the person who's being disciplined, but for the whole church. When church discipline gets to, to the, the stage of, of where a person is removed from fellowship, it, it, the, the whole body should feel pain, like the pain of having an arm or a leg cut off. And given that the church is re repeatedly referred to in the New Testament as, the, as a body, pain is the appropriate response. But as painful as it is, in, in some cases, when this, this type of, of amputation takes place, what's, what's really being demonstrated is that the person who was being disciplined was never really part of the body in the first place. So here I'm getting ahead of, of myself a little bit, but, but church discipline starts long before we get to that extreme. And, and, and I, I trust that you'll begin to understand this as we go along. But I wonder what comes to mind for you when, when you think about church discipline. You know, a red-faced pastor wagging his finger in the face of, of a cowering individual. Well, you may have seen church discipline practice in, in a way that is unloving and is unbiblical. But I think few of us have ever even really seen it practiced at all. And so a lot of our misconceptions come from as much from a lack of experience as, as they do from, from uh, negative presuppositions. And again, I pray that, that by the end of these two sermons, you'll have a, a clearer picture of what the scriptures teach about church discipline and about how important it is that, that we do it and that we do it lovingly and faithfully. Now, your view of the church will have an impact on your view of church discipline. Now, we've been talking over the past few weeks about what it really means to be a part of the church. And we've discussed, again, some of the biblical metaphors, a, a building, a building or a, a body or a family. Well, the true church is made up of true Christians, those who love Jesus Christ and love each other. But for those who do not love the church, for them, church discipline will seem unloving. But when you view the church as your family, as those that you love and pray for, as those that you spend time with throughout the week, you, you want to protect that fellowship. 
you want to protect the erring brother or sister who is in sin. And so even though the thought of, of somebody being removed from that fellowship is extremely painful, you're willing to go to such extremes to protect them and to protect the church. A body of believers who is seeking to love God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and all of their strength and seeking to love their neighbor as themselves will practice church discipline. A body that is seeking to love each other as Christ loved the church will practice church discipline. So in order for us to understand what church discipline is, I'm going to outline the who, what, how, sort of the what, how, who, and when, and why of church discipline. This morning, I'm going to deal with the what, how, and who, and the next week, the when and the why. So first of all, what is church discipline? And again, I said from the outset that many of us have a, a wrong understanding of church discipline, either from a, a negative experience or, or a lack of experience. And our ideas often result from a caricature of, of what the world presents and, and not guided by what the Bible tells us. People often think that as discipline is coming from a, a different era and, and it's really something that we shouldn't be doing anymore. That comes from the, the, the old and, and uptight era of the church when, when, when people were, were legalists or, or whatever we, we, we tend to, to think. Now discipline is, is often viewed as, as negative, but, but the word discipline really has a much broader and a much more positive meaning than, than that what we have come to associate it with as simply being punishment. Church discipline is not meant to be primarily punitive, but corrective. It's not primarily about, about justice, but about protection and about restoration. It's meant to bring about growth and, and change. And so the word discipline and the word disciple share the same Latin root, and, and they both are, are tied with the idea of perfection and order. And so as, as we are disciples of Christ, we practice discipline. And a healthy church will practice church discipline. This church practices church discipline, and though you might not even realize it. Here's what I mean. There are two forms of church discipline. There is formative discipline and corrective discipline. Formative discipline refers to the way that, that Scripture shapes and molds Christians as, we, as we're taught the Word of God and as we, we walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ, bringing the Word of God to bear in each other's lives and encouraging, encouraging and, and even admonishing each other in the Lord. That's, that's formative church discipline. It's, it's described in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the majority of discipline in the church is formative discipline. As people hear the word of God preached, as they study the word and, and in, in their own personal devotions, and as they're shaped by, by their fellowship with their brothers and sisters and are, and are encouraged by their brothers and sisters. And so we learn together. 
Each part of the body needs the other parts. Paul David Tripp said that, that, that if, you, if you follow the Lord for a thousand years, you would continue to need the ministry of the body of Christ as much as when you did when you first came to faith. We will all need to continue to grow in our sanctification until our sanctification is complete and we are in glory. Several years ago, uh, Jane and I went uh, to, uh, to a local campground to, to we'd had, had dinner together and, and we got some hot chocolate and we, and we went to a local campground and, um, to, to have a little campfire and, and sing some hymns together. And, and I was prepared, or so I thought, I had, had prepared a, a tote with, with some logs and some kindling and I had some newspaper and, and, I, and I thought I was all prepared. And, and I got there and began to set up my, my, my little um, teepee to make my fire and looked for the lighter but I couldn't find the lighter and I looked everywhere I couldn't find it and it was it was fall so there really wasn't there was only one other person I think staying visiting that, that campground and and so I went over there and they, they actually they had a fire going and 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 there, I didn't see anybody so I I called out uh, quietly hello you know I was hoping I could borrow a lighter from them but nobody answered me and they had really it was a really quite a, a nice fire going and so I I got two logs and and put them together and picked up another log out of their fire, a roaring, flaming log. But went about three or four steps away from that fire, and, and of course the log that I was carrying went out. The, the flames had gone out as it was removed from the other logs in the fire. And I, I brought it over to, to our fire, and I had to take a lot of work to, to fan the embers and, and get our fire going. And then I, I brought that log back to the people, and. And that's when they came out and they said, what are you doing? And I ex explained to them and they just laughed at me. But, but, but the, the, my point is this, that, that the logs in the fire need each other. We need the heat of each other to continue to grow and, and to, to produce light and heat for God. And if we remove ourselves from the fellowship of the local church, we're going to go out. And for those who are, who are truly in the Lord, they're, 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 they won't lose their salvation, but, but those embers will grow cool and, and, and dark and dim. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need to walk together as a body in Christ to, as, as we read about in, in, uh, in Hebrews um, 10, 24, and 25, to, to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, that's a picture. That's, that's we need each other to, to heat each other up for the Lord. That the church was God's design and, and he, he intended that that would always be the way. And so part of the ministry of the local church moves from the, the formative discipline into corrective discipline. And this takes place when, when you become aware that a brother or sister is, is, is walking in a pattern of sin. And, and first you pray for them. You pray earnestly for them and, and pray for wisdom and tact and love and grace to be able to, to come alongside them and to encourage them in the Lord. And then you, you go to them and, and lovingly correct them. 
or even rebuke them. And Paul wrote about this in, in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Again, this is corrective discipline. If a person does not repent, then the fourth step of church discipline it will eventually take place where they are, are excommunicated or removed from the fellowship of the church. So let's then, then drill down a little bit and, and look at, at how this discipline is done, how it takes place in the context of, of the local church. Well, again, the first thing we need to see is that it's done with, with gentleness and humility. Again, from Galatians 6.1, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. And the verse also says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so, so it, it, this implies and teaches that we need to go with humility. Not, not arrogantly. As if we've got it all together, but, but as a fellow sinner saved by grace, he was only walking in repentance because of the grace and mercy of the Lord. You're not to do it in anger, but again, lovingly, gently going to them out of concern for them and the glory of God. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26 is very instructive here. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, they may, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So again, the, the context for that is, is I believe, broader than, than just, just church discipline, but, but that does inform how discipline should be practiced in the local church. Because if you're not going to them with gentleness, that, then you yourself are, are sinning. I've had to repent of, of times that, that I have, have gone to, to correct a, a brother and, and, and have not done it in a, in, a, in a loving and gentle way. And you think about it in your own life. If, if, somebody, if somebody comes in and talks to you about something in an angry way, and, and they're, just, they're, they're, they're just coming down on you like a ton of bricks, are you really generally receptive to what they're going to say to you in that moment. But instead, if a, if a brother or sister comes alongside you and, and lovingly encourages you in, in the things of, of the Lord, doesn't that really change the, the way that, that you receive it? Now, now again, repentance, as we can also see in, in, here in 2 Timothy um, 2, is, is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a gift. It's, you can't argue somebody in, in, into repentance. It's, it's given to them as a gift. But we still go to them as a means of grace in that person's life. So it needs to be done in, in gentleness and, and meekness and love and humility. We're better off not doing it at all. And as for the process, we're going to focus here on, on Matthew um, 18, verses 15 to 20, the, the, the passage that I read earlier. There's another parallel, 1 Corinthians uh, 5, where, where the apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church to remove a brother who's, who's involved in, in sexual sin, uh, and we'll deal with that more next week. But here, this, this process, that, as outlined in Matthew 18, 15 to 20, really uh, represents the, the normal situation, which is, is generally going to take place over a period of time. But there are occasions where, where the situation, the process may need to be sped up when an unrepentant sinner poses a danger to the church. 
And sometimes it might even involve uh, bringing the, the authorities, the police, into, a situa into the situation where the law has been, been broken. But please turn uh, in, in your Bibles to Matthew 18, and again at verses 15 to 20. What I'd like for us to notice first is the context. Notice that, that this passage, verses 15 to 20, is, is nestled there immediately after Jesus is teaching uh, the, with the parable of the lost sheep about, about going and, and trying to, to deliver a, a, one of the sheep that, that's, that's, that's lost, that's, that's gone astray. So that takes place just before the, this context of, uh, of, of church discipline and and so really informs us as to, to why this is here. What, but we can't just pull this out. We have to look at it in the whole package of, of what's being said. And also notice that immediately after, in verses 21 and following, Jesus is teaching very powerfully on forgiveness. So again, that, that also needs to frame our, our understanding of, of this process and, and of what is, is taking place here. So again, the, the desire is that the process is, is to be restorative. The responsibility and, and also for the rest of the church is also to walk in, in forgiveness of the erring sinner. I think you can see from this passage that, that there are, are five steps. There's really four explicit ones and one is, is implicit at the end. But first of all, notice in verse 15 that you are to go, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It's private. It's, it's between you and one other person. It, it means that you're not to go around talking to other people about it. Now, there might be, be a, a situation where, where you're going to be seeking counsel and, and seeking advice on, on how to handle a particular situation, but, but I fear that a lot of times that we, that we go to, to people saying we're seeking advice, but it's really just an occasion for gossip. Or we can sometimes say, we need to pray for, for so-and-so. Because of their sin, and there's really often just an opportunity for gossip. Again, it's appropriate to pray for that person. But it really should be at this stage private between you and that person alone. And notice too that, that again, it's, it's restorative. It's, it's the idea here is that if, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've been a means of grace in this, this brother's life or this sister's life and helping them to see that they need to repent of a specific sin. And, and that's really one, one of the main focus, focus points. We're going to talk about the why um, next week, Lord willing. But, but one of the, the, the desires and one of the goals is that the person is going to repent and to be restored. We need to be so vigilant that all the way through this, this process is that, though, that we are walking in, in love and, and forgiveness, we need to be so careful that a root of bitterness does not spring up and, and many be defiled. Hebrews 12, 15. So the next step is to take one or two others. Witnesses are required. We, we don't just, just entertain a, a charge that's, that's made against somebody, but there needs to be, be a biblical process that, that is followed here. And um, again, you're only involving one or two other people. You're, you're not spreading this around to a whole bunch of different people. 
And so you, you have here, obviously, talk to people about it, but you really to ask them for help to, to go to the erring brother or sister. And, and normally, at this step, either before or after here, the, the elders um, will be, be brought into the process and will be informed of, of what's going on. And, and they'll be seeking to meet with the individual as well. But again, if the person repents, then the process has achieved its purpose, at least this part of the purpose, and they will have been restored. Now again, there, there will be likely um, counseling involved, biblical counseling here, but, but again, it's, it's restorative. The idea is that the, the person would be encouraged to repent and that they would be helped along in their faith. Well, the third step, once it's been established that the person has committed the sin, the members uh, at a church members meeting, that person's sin um, will be the person and their sin will be identified before the church. And the, one of the, the elders in the church will, will notify the church, the entire church membership of, of what's happened and, and what the, the person is, is, has done. And the, here those who have a relation, the whole church will be called to pray for the person and those who have a relationship with that person will be called to, to go and to, to lovingly approach them. So here you're bringing it now more broadly. But again, the process is restorative. It's restorative. Now, there's other elements, of course, involved here. We're concerned about the reputation of the Lord. We're, we're concerned about the reputation of the church. And so there, it's not just to restore that person, but that is very important. So now, if the person, um, if the person does not repent, if they don't listen to, to the, the local church going to them and, and calling to them, step four happens. And, and this is where they're removed from the church. Their membership is revoked. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this doesn't mean that you hand him your tax forms. When the scripture talks about Gentiles and and tax collectors, it's essentially saying that this person, you treat this person as an unbeliever. It means you no longer view this person as a believer, but as an unbeliever. Now, this has some very serious implications. First of all, they're excommunicated. Now, excommunication means that the, remo the removal of the privilege to receive the Lord's Supper. Now, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper here this morning, and, and this is, the Lord's Supper is... It, and we'll talk about this. It's, it's, again, it's not just an individual thing. This is not but just you and God, but it's, it's us and God. It's corporate, not individual. And so when we take the, the Lord's Supper together, it's, it's really a picture of what, of what Christ has done for us. And so if, if taking the Lord's Supper together is a picture, and we've see, we saw that even a few, a few weeks ago, then... Then, then by, them, by telling them that they are not to take the Lord's Supper, that is also a very clear picture. What it's saying is that we do not believe that this person's testimony of their saving relationship with Christ is genuine. Based either on their, on their actions or, or by their doctrine. Now, of course, we, we don't have in, infallibility in this. We're saying that we do not believe. We, don't, we can't know for certain. It might even be that, that through this process that, that, that at this point the person comes to repentance. But we're saying that in good conscience, based on the evidence before us, we, we cannot 
clearly identify this brother or sister, or this individual rather, as a brother or a sister. So they're excommunicated. Um, their, their membership is also revoked. They're, again, they're, they're no longer considered to be part of, of the church and their, their name is removed from the membership role. This also is a declaration. Again, it's a declaration that they're, they're not any longer a part of this local visible church or, or from as far as we can understand, part of the universal invisible church. And so this is a, a very weighty thing to have happen. And, and it, it's, it's, yes, it's extreme. Again, it's like an amputation. It's, it's painful for everybody. But it's meant to be a, a means of grace in the, in the context of a church that's committed to, to the holiness of God and, and committed to each other. And finally, as a, as a necessary consequence as well, there's a fracture of fellowship. Now, this doesn't mean you shun them, like, like what happens in, in some churches. But it means that you can no longer have fellowship with them as a Christian. You can't just hang out with them and pretend that everything is okay. And again, this is going to hurt. This is, go this is going to, to hurt you and it's going to hurt them. And the hope is that in part of that process that they're going to see that, that what they're missing is they've removed themselves from the body and that they will repent and turn back to the Lord and back to the church. That's step four. But I need to be very clear here that there is a fifth step. Excommunication is not the final step of this process. And you, you view them as an unbeliever, but, but what do you do with unbelievers? You share the gospel with them. You, you tell them to turn away from their sin and, and to put their faith in Jesus. You tell them that, that Christ died, that, that they would, could have a life in him. You tell them that, that on the cross, Jesus bore the penalty of sin and that, 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 this, that all the sins of, of, of every elect person has, has been put on Jesus for all time and that his righteousness has been given to every elect person for all time. And, and so again, this is, this is meant to be a means of grace in, in the, the life of of the unrepentant sinner. And if at any point when they, they come under the influence of the word of God and they repent, they're going to be restored. This also doesn't mean that they're not welcome at church. We want them to be at church. We, we want them to come under the, the, the ministry of the word of God. But again, it's not the same as it once was. We're not just, just having table fellowship with them. When I was in, in Louisville attending the Southern Baptist Seminary, I was a member of an excellent church. And during my, my very first members meeting, there was an individual who was brought forward for church discipline. And I knew this was coming, I, but I'd never seen it before practiced biblically, so I really didn't know what to expect. And this might sound strange to you, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was a, a powerful picture of the love and concern that this church held for, for the glory of God, for the health of the church, and for the, the, the health and, and life of the unrepentant sinner. 
And so the pastor stood up there with, with tears in his eyes, presenting the man's name and identifying his sin. And he explained that several church members had gone to him, calling him to repentance, trying to win him, but to no avail that this man, to my knowledge, never repented and was never restored to the church. So the pastor, the pastor put forward a motion that the man be removed from, from membership and the church agreed. You know what I thought? I thought this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. This is the kind of church that is going to take the holiness of God seriously and the command to love one another seriously. This is the kind of church that's going to care for my soul. I wanted to be a part of that. Now, people were brought before the church several times during my time there. And you might be surprised again to hear this, but quite often through the process, even after that fourth step, people repented and were restored gloriously to the church. I saw that happen again and again. Well, with that, finally, we need to look at the who. Who administers this type of discipline and who are the recipients of this type of discipline? Well, first, the recipients of church discipline are, are those of the church. And so primarily here, we're talking about members of the local church, people who are in covenant with the local church. And if these individuals remain unrepentant, they will be removed from fellowship in the local church. Their name will be taken off the membership roll. And again, in most cases, they are welcome to visit, but they are not regarded as part of the church. But again, we're talking about primarily members. Now, that being said, we believe that the process of church discipline is also important for those who have not taken out membership. We have people here who have, for various reasons, have not yet taken out membership. Now, they can't be removed from a membership role because they, they are not, they're not on it in the first place. But if you are here as a member, of, sorry, as a person who's not a member of the local church, well, first of all, we hope you'll become a member. But even if you don't, we will seek to care for your soul. And so there will be times that, 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 that a brother or sister may, may come to you and, and talk to you and, and encourage you in your faith. And even if it comes to to the, to the, the point of, of, through a lack of repentance, where, where it comes to a step four, then, then you also will be excommunicated, no longer able to participate at the table of the Lord. There has to be a, a clear demarcation between who we believe are, are part of the church and who we believe are not part of the church. And so church discipline is, is a process that, that helps that, and it's vital for the health of the church. Now, we have a number of Colorado Avalanche fans here. And there is a very clear boundary between who is on the team and who is not on the team. And it's not just about who's got the jersey. You can go and buy a jersey for, for 100 bucks at the, the local sporting goods store. That doesn't make you part of the team. Now, there was a big stir about a year ago when, when their star center, Matt Duchesne, declared that he no longer wanted to be part of the team. And his presence became a distraction. 
and really a hindrance to the performance of the whole team. And that is until he was traded to the Ottawa Senators this past November. And interestingly, almost immediately after the trade, the avalanche be began to climb up in the standings. And interestingly, another star forward on the, on the team, um, Nathan McKinnon, has actually um, become, since the trade, has become one of the league's top scorers. In fact, since November, he has been the top scorer in the whole NHL. So once who was really on the team was worked out, the whole team began to perform better. And, and again, we're going to see this more next week as we talk about the, the why of church discipline. But it's, it's vital to know who is really on the team. And so that, that, it, that talks about the recipients of the church discipline. It's the church. It's, it's, it's all of us. But again, who, as, we, as we deal with the who, who administers church discipline? Well, again, it's all of us. You do. It's the responsibility of the church members. Again, non-members have a responsibility here as well, but this is particularly for those who have covenanted with the local church, who are in that real covenant relationship with the local church. Now, the church leaders, the elders, will be involved in, in this process, but elders as individuals do not have the authority to excommunicate someone. It's not elder discipline, but church discipline. And, and again, I really hope that you can see then why it's so important that we believe in elder-led congregational church government because the authority for this is the local church. Now, for elders, there's a particular responsibility that we, that we have to, to protect the local church. And so there's, there's some key things and, and distinctions that, that will be involved in the role of an elder in this. But we all have a responsibility to protect the local church. And again, Matthew 18 is clear. It's the church body that performs discipline. Look at, at verse 18 again. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so, so under Jesus, the, the church has the authority to bind and loose. And this essentially means that they are declaring the terms of salvation. This is a very, a very strong parallel to, to just a couple of chapters before you. Matthew 16, 19, where the authority is given to, to Peter of binding and loosing, but then it's extended to the church here in Matthew 18. That refers to the, the keys of the, the kingdom of heaven that have been given to Peter, but they're given to the, the whole church. And we talked about this is, that, that chapter in, in 16 does not mean that, that Peter is the first pope. It, it's the, the truth of the declaration of, of Jesus as the Christ that, that, is, that is authoritative here. That's the foundation. But, but it's given to Peter and then and transferred to the church. And very, very intentional that exactly the same words are used just two chapters later. So again, here the, the church is declaring the terms of salvation whereby God is going to forgive those who repent and withhold forgiveness from those who don't. Again, the church is saying that, that, that we believe that by this, this person's lack of repentance for, for their, their false doctrine or for their, or for their sin, that, that they are 
that, that we doubt that they are genuinely saved. Well, here in Matthew 18, Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And we've talked about this before, but I, I most commonly hear this, this verse used to, to say that where two or three are gathered, that, that Jesus is there, so we have a prayer meeting. But the truth is, even if one Christian is there, Jesus is there, so there's a prayer meeting. He's talking about authority, about the authority for church discipline. And so that, that authority there, he's saying, has been given to the church body. No individual has authority to discipline someone out of the church, even an elder. It is a corporate authority, and it is also a corporate responsibility. Just if you will, for a moment, please turn to, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the parallel passage that I mentioned earlier. Look at verses 4 and 5. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Notice here that it is when you were assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so there it's the church gathered together in the name that's the authority of Jesus. The church, the local church, is to practice church discipline. It's something you do together. So you're moving the person in, in hopes that the Lord is, is, that this is going to be a means of grace in their lives and that the Lord will use this to bring them to repentance. It's a vital tool that leads to growth in true believers. And it can also be vital too in the, in, in the salvation of unbelievers because at any point along this process, somebody who was not saved can be, and this often happens, is genuinely saved. And we can't know for sure, but it, it seems likely that the, the individual from 1 Corinthians 5 repented and was saved because of, of what uh, of what Paul says about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He talks about the punishment of the many being enough and you're to, to welcome this person back. And again, we don't, we don't know specifically that it was the same individual, but we do know that there's at least one case where, in that church where somebody repented and came back to the church and was welcomed with open arms as part of the church. And again, I hope you can see from this how, how important it is our concept of, of elder-led congregational church government as the church, as the, the pattern of what the church is to be. Again, Joshua touched on this um, two weeks ago, but, but, but church discipline is, is again our corporate authority and our corporate responsibility. All of us, every one of us. And going back to, to Louisville, Again, for a moment, I, I use this as an example because, as I said, I'd, ne I'd never seen this practiced, at least not biblically. But before I moved to Louisville, it was, it was, it was very important for me to find a healthy church to attend. And so th there was one church that I had visited on a, on a previous trip, and I, I called the, the preaching pastor from the church because I, I had some questions I wanted to ask. And one of the first questions that I had for him was how the church handled church discipline. And, and, and I was actually surprised by his answer. 
he explained to me that the, the vast majority of church discipline didn't ever come to the attention of the leadership. Because it was organic at a grassroots level that the church was, was doing what a healthy church does. And so when a brother or sister would sin, another brother or sister would lovingly come alongside them and call them to repentance. And, and people often repented, and, and so that was, that was the end of it. And so the leadership really didn't know a lot of, of what was happening in that regard. And yet another example, from when I was in, in Louisville, there was an individual who was brought before the, the church for, for discipline because he had a pattern of drunkenness in his life. And, and this man was a, was a hairdresser. And in, in the weeks that followed the, the step three, where, where he, he and his sin were, were brought before the church, in the, the weeks that followed in the lead up to the next members meeting, the pastor said that, that over 40 individuals from the church made appointments to get haircuts. And that's a little risky, maybe, with the guy's got scissors in his hands, but... <laughs> He might at least get a bad haircut, but, but, but they lovingly went to this brother to call him to repentance. Again, I wish I could report a, a good result. For, well, there was a good result of that, but, but not in the restoration, at least to this point, of that individual. But this was a church lovingly going to an erring brother to call him to repentance. And again, I see that happening here. I see that happening when, there, where there's, been, where there's issues and, and tensions, and, and I, I don't know a lot of what's going on. I'm, I'm maybe blissfully ignorant in some of these things, but, but people are, are going and talking to each other and, and working out details. I don't need to be involved. I don't want to be involved unless I need to be. This is what a healthy church does, and it's what I see happening and growing here. May God be praised. Now, I'm going to, again, end it here because of, of time, and I'm going to finish next week as we talk about the when and the why of church discipline. But I just want to speak um, to a few individuals um, here, not personally, I'm not naming anybody, this is not a public demonstration discipline, but just by, by examples uh, of, different, of different individuals who are here in, the, in this church this morning. So first of all, Providence Baptist Church. Those who call Providence their church home. How do you view church discipline? Is this something that, that you understand, I hope, in a, in a little bit better way this morning, in a more biblical way, and something that you, that you want to say, yes, this is something that I believe is, is important, it's vital for, for the glory of God, for the, the health of this church, and also for the, the repentance of, an, of erring sinners. We need to be praying that the Lord would, would reinforce what has been taught here this morning and, and, and help us to, to begin to, to grow and, and to, 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 even if needs be, to even go to the fourth step. Now, what about those who are visiting here this morning from other churches? Well, my encouragement is, is very similar. Are, are you committed to that process in your local church? Are you committed to being, being a part of the solution? Instead of, of sitting back and, and complaining about problems or complaining about people, are, are you going to be committed to saying, I, I want to be involved in, in, and committed, vitally committed to the health of my local church? So if you're here as a visitor this morning, it's really the same challenge. And, and also, I, I would have to, to, to speak to unbelievers 
who are here this morning, whether as, as visitors here or as, as regular attenders uh, of this local church. Especially for those who, who, who are part of this, this church and come week after week, you, you hear the gospel proclaimed every week from this pulpit. You see the gospel lived out imperfectly, but you see the gospel out of people who are, are, are attempting by God's grace to live out the gospel in front of you. The word and the example of this church is meant to be a, a means of grace in your life to, to cause you to, to repent and come to saving faith in Christ. If you're here as a, as a visitor this morning, I don't know whether you hear the gospel proclaimed at your church. I hope you do. But you've certainly heard it this morning. And the Lord is calling you to repentance and faith. God is a just judge. He will punish all sin, including your sin, unless you repent and put your faith in Jesus so that your guilt is given to him and his righteousness is given to you. That is the only hope that any of us have before a holy God is the righteous life and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So maybe this sermon was, it was a means of grace for you to, to call you to repentance and faith. I want to close with the words of 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him be sin who knew no sin so that in him we could be the righteousness of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only gospel of the only God, the only way of salvation. Repent and find life in him. Let's pray together.